This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to Clued In with Lou Carbone, a thought-provoking opportunity to expand your perspectives and advance the impact you can make in the CX, EX, and patient experience space. Lou's undeniable combination of the depth of experience and knowledge in this space is unparalleled. As a driver inside organizations as well as consulting, Lou offers distinctive thought stimulation, is a dedicated mentor and teacher. Hi, this is Lou Carbone. And welcome to Clued In. This morning, my guest is Angelo Lombardi. Angelo was the COO of La Quinta Hotels. La Quinta had the largest percentage, perhaps, of company-owned and operated properties. And overseeing that uh, was an absolutely mammoth task in addition to the overall operation of the organization, which uh, the team that was there was absolutely phenomenal. And Angelo was a major factor in the the organization's great success. And I am so thrilled to have him with us because Angelo went from the hotel industry to pot (laughs) and actually worked in the Uh, recreational marijuana business, and uh, then became the CEO of a a division that was spun off that was into CBD and uh, manufacturing and uh, distribution and has a wealth of knowledge. Uh, But what is most amazing is the spirit of humanity that existed with Angelo and humble, intelligent, bright, insightful. And the culture at La Quinta was so very special and I'm so honored to have him as a guest today. Angelo, welcome. Thank you, Lou. That uh, as a great intro, I think I will uh, listen to the podcast multiple times just to play that as a a confidence booster. I've never felt better about uh, about myself and my career. Of course, not to sell you short, you were a big part of the success at La Quinta as we really transformed from a company in the service industry to a company that that sought to improve service and hospitality and understand it in a way that that wasn't as intuitive. And uh, you really helped to shine a light on it. And, and late in my career, reminded me that. The, the worst thing to, to moving forward is a closed mind. And if you open it and you look and you seek to understand, you can learn and evolve. And that ultimately uh, helped me to, to start the second part of my career into the cannabis side, which not only did you help to teach me to be open minded, as, as we'll, I'm sure, get to. You helped me to make that decision sitting down, having a fantastic dinner um, as we talked about uh, cannabis and the industry and, and sort of a second run in my career. That is so uh, fascinating that that there are so many closed minds in business, uh, Angelo. And um, in fact, uh, recently I was speaking with Jerry Zaltman, who has written an essay. He was a professor at the Harvard Business School, and he wrote an essay on open mindedness. 
and the need for more open-mindedness in business uh, to be able to look at things differently. And you've been so phenomenal at being able to make that transformation. What advice would you give to other people, uh, to other COOs and to CEOs and C-suite people to look at the broader picture uh, and, and have an open mind? Yeah, I think that that there's a lot of layers to that question. The the advice I give, maybe not at the C-suite, but to anyone I speak to is, if you ever think you know everything, spend 10 minutes in front of Google. Begin to search up some topics that you don't know anything about. And it's a reminder how little any of us can know about what's out there. But but going going further, I think for me, success led to a closed mind. So I was in the hospitality industry for 27 years. Started when I was in high school. Over that time, I worked for two major brands, uh, the last 13 at, at La Quintins and Suites, and built up my position from a front desk clerk, working behind the desk, putting myself through college to get to manage a hotel, go work at the corporate office, manage a region, manage a department, and then eventually become the COO. When you when you have that level of success pretty quick to a pretty high level, it starts to reinforce the things you do are right. The decisions you made are right. So it leads to doing the same thing again, um, patting yourself on the back and, and, and saying, look how good I was. At the same time, you see other people who maybe don't get there and it begins to create this closed minded. I'm right attitude. It's when you hit a wall or when you meet someone smarter than you or even better, you meet someone who's holding you to a higher standard that helps you break through this this wall. In my case. I was really fortunate to have all three. Uh, I worked for a person, uh, Wayne Goldberg, our CEO, who no matter what you did, how good you got, he would go back to the to base and try to do it better. He had a saying, when when you're climbing a mountain, you never want to reach the top. If you reach the top, someone else is going to come along and push you off. Right? Always be looking to ascend. Always be looking to improve. Uh, we were owned by Blackstone, a uh, private equity group out of New York. They had some extraordinary intelligent individuals who, who helped us and guided us through business. And they were very successful at showing me, no matter what you think you know, there's more to learn. You can get better at this. And then being see, being shown another way, I'll give you some credit to this. And that is you, you sometimes you need someone to hit you in the head with a metaphoric two by four and show you you thought you knew it, but you didn't. And And for that, it was... The, the clue process when when you'd come into my life and into our office and said, you think you know hospitality, but let me show you what you think hospitality and services and what your customers do. And I'm sure you remember this. I was probably sitting at the table with my arms crossed and probably said something like this time I've been in this industry for over 20 years. I know what hospitality is. I don't need this guy telling me what hospitality and services. And instead of telling me, you put me on a journey to find it myself through looking at my business through customers' eyes, attending focus groups, looking at other customers. And then one day I woke up and said, I'm providing my consumers with service that I think they want. What if I provided them with service and hospitality that they want? And that that changes your paradigm where you, you seek to improve, you seek to get better, you seek to, to understand. And that gets you past that wall. Once you're past it, Especially if you have some success and, and our early response to, to these challenges were very successful to the business. So now you're doing something different and you're doing better 
than you were doing before you were doing it different. And, and that now, now you're out there to improve more. Now you're out there to find the next greatest trick. And when you work with a strong management team like I did, the whole team gets on board and each of these experts and each of these experienced people starts to look for new ways and the momentum builds up and pretty soon there's, there's really nothing you can't accomplish. And Angelo, you had already made some progress. You were one of the very first customers, as I recall, for Medallia, weren't you? At- we, we were the first hospitality customer for Medallia. Uh, and that was, we were doing paper surveys, slow, not very detailed, not very organic. Medallia came out with their email survey at a time where we just, people just didn't have as much email. We didn't get it. We didn't even have a field in our computer system to, to record a customer's email when we rolled it out. Uh, but Medallia came out, um, worked with a, a person there, Elizabeth Carducci, who was absolutely amazing and, and saw their vision. And that was... Um, we, we changed our trans, transformed our PMS system. We began getting the data. We switched over to it, moved to a modified guest satisfaction score, and eventually to net promoter. And that is about putting a spotlight on service and opportunity. And a really good detective, you know, you can find chinks in your armor and you can fix them. You can find low-hanging fruit and you can pluck it. But once you've done that, Finding the real ways to break through, to truly level up and evolve is is bigger than data, bigger than ideas in your own head. It really takes discovery and understanding and um, combine that attitude, getting past that wall, external experience and, and the data medallia provided. And you can really find it. The story's there. The information's there. You just have to be ready to, to do something with it. And Angela, when you fused the work that was done in, in customer experience and when we did the, the experience designs and all of that, the Medallia net promoter scores, as I recall, rose. The Temkin, uh, uh, at the time there was a Temkin survey, but the results were absolutely amazing in terms of the transformation you went through in terms of seeing that customer back perspective and and watching what happened to basically scores. There's no doubt that's true, um, Lou, and and that in itself would have been a success, but the success was even bigger than that. Everyone talks about culture. People will have culture meetings and let's let's put together who we stand for and what, what does our company mean. We really saw a transformation of culture beyond a card you carried in your wallet or a sign on the office really changed the way the company operated, the way the company made strategic decisions. At the highest level, we began to truly live that culture. And then decisions get easier. Right? Let's, let's lower the bar for employees to have benefits because it's not just about retention. Retention is important. It's about everyone on the team being successful and, and winning together. And decision after decision would go through this machine And when your course is clear, your decision is easy. And when our course became clear, our decision became easy. We had great financial success, great shareholder success, great guest satisfaction success. But also, I saw a transformation of individuals, managers and and regional vice presidents, hourly employees, other executives who I've watched over the years. And they've been able to then build on this base 
and continue to have very successful careers in very successful industries because we all benefited from learning how to, to do this and see this world differently. Angelo, that's so powerful. Recently, the um, the new chairman of the board at the Mayo Clinic made a comment, and it was so apropos to what I experienced uh, working with them and, and working with La Quinta. The comment that he made was uh, they were talking about Mayo Clinic values. And he said, these are not values. Once you live the values, they are virtues. And these are the virtues of the organization. No longer, quote, the values. These are the virtues. And these are the virtues that we must maintain. There was one incredible story about um, the values and how you and Wayne and the team at La Quinta, and I've told this story, the story of the linen prices running up. <laughs> Tell that story. Yeah. That was really living the values, the virtues. It was a virtuous organization. So I, I like this story because it's one of the few stories I get to be the hero of. Um so to the point about about values, values on a card are a good start. Uh, one of the things we were taught to say is these are the values of our of the company. These are the values we want the company to have because it's it's a journey, right? No, our company had over 10,000 employees plus partners. At any one time, someone's doing a great job and someone has an opportunity, my, myself included. The the linen story was tough. The cotton prices had, had skyrocketed, and we had a set pricing schedule with our linen partner and they did an amazing job, provided great linen. We'd worked with them for years and they had the shipping from, from overseas had really gone up. And those two combinations of shipping charge and the cost of, of cotton, the prices of linen were going to skyrocket. So they came to us and they said, listen, um, we've got to pass some of this expense on us. We're completely underwater. We've been underwater selling you linen for a while but we're, we, we'll continue to take it out of our profit margin, but we have to pass some of this charge cost on to you. So starting in one month, this is going to be your new price for linen. And I'll tell you, Lou, it was still a very attractive price by what you can get out there. They were clearly uh, eroding a, quite a bit of their profit. And the reality is they were passing some on to us. So I sat down with with my boss and, and someone in our finance team at the time, and I laid out, we had to change our forecast. Our cost of linen was going to go up. And we were fortunate at La Quinta. We were running a pretty profitable business. We had quite a bit of cash on hand. And our CFO said, so wait a minute. If the price doesn't go up for a month, what if we just bought right now all the linen we needed to last us till the end of the year? Then we would have all the linen and we would save this money. And uh, to, to that, I responded that that would be doing the wrong thing to our partner, right? We would, we would be taking more money out of their pocket. They've passed along as much of the savings as they could. We were in this for the long run and, and we weren't going to make a penny and, and destroy a partner, uh, even though we could. Contractually, we could. We turned to our CEO. Guys, I'll tell you, there's a lot of CEOs out there. I've met a lot of executives who had taken that savings and had executed that. Even if you couldn't take all six months, buy a couple months. Our CEO 100 percent backed us. We did not load up on linen. We worked with our partner. We paid their their higher uh, price. And when the 
price of cotton came back down again. They continued to be our partner. And I worked with this vendor up until the day I left the hospitality industry. Phenomenal. Angelo, the other thing that uh, that happens today in the world of experience, so there are these debates on is it the employee experience? Is it the customer experience? And uh, th- th- I can't believe that people will actually uh, ponder uh, which is more important. And what you did was so amazing because the work that, that we did with you was both on employee and customer experience. And there was no question in your mind that they're fused together, that they're inseparable. There's no question now, but full clarity, we were one of those companies that rolled out the guest experience first. And we missed the employee experience. We knew it was important, but let's focus on the customers. They're the ones who pay the bills. There's so many of them. It's so important we get this right. And then as we began to talk about it, not only did our employees tell us what's in it for us, but we learned no matter how badly I want it or Julian Marketing wanted it, we couldn't enact our service and our hospitality on 18 million customers nationwide without our employees and our partners wanting to do the same thing. So by applying the same process, and if I were to go back in time and do it, I really would make them one right out of the gate. We we worked hard after the fact to make them one and our employee process mirrored the look and feel of our, our guest process and they really merged into one larger process. But we did have a little bit of a misstep that's part of the way companies make decisions. Why why bite off two projects when you can bite off one and start with the one that you perceive to be more important? The reality is without motivated, committed employees, you can't reach the guest. You can't automate service. It's not a keystroke. It's not a script. It's not a deliverable package. It comes down to an interaction. And whether it's whether it's a speaker at a fast food place, a hotel front desk, or even an online chat uh, where you're chatting with someone's service that you're buying something on a website and, and that level of service goes up. Even the employees you don't touch, someone who's packing a product that's going to ship to you, how good of a job do they do? How poor of a job do they take a moment to just improve that level of experience? And that comes down to an employee caring about their business caring about their boss, caring about their coworkers, and uh, they will show that in everything they do. And Angelo, um, what I'd like to do now is um, move to a life-transforming experience that you went through. You were born and raised in Ohio, relatively conservative, uh, moderate, but from the Midwest, and suddenly you're in the recreational marijuana business. Yeah, and- calling, calling me a moderate conservative is polite. Um, I when, when cannabis, when marijuana started to become legalized, I was appalled. Right now, first from a business standpoint, the, the damage of, of smoking weed in a hotel room, it's, it's hard on the other guests, it's hard on the room attendants, but 
I have a very black and white mentality around the law. There is the law and you follow it and you do these things. And how could something that I was raised, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old. I was raised during the war on drugs. I was taught in high school how awful these gateway drugs are and what they lead to. And in my mind, you smoked weed and immediately did coke and then shot your parents to steal their money. And that that was, we had, we had dare officers and care officers and mad officers come to our classroom as children and teach us the problems with with drugs. So it, I was as against the the weed industry probably as any person could have been when when I was first invited to join it. Amazing. And how did that transformation that had to be a rough decision but a decision that as you've pointed out was was life-changing and and incredible. Yes, I I think a number of factors went into helping me make that decision. So so first at the tail end of my career, right, I'd been I'd been given the gift of continual learning to to really change the way I viewed. So that that is really a gift and and probably the most powerful fulcrum to to make this decision. And then I I'd, I'd gone to to retirement for a couple of years and I had I had younger children and there was some confusion around work and life. And I, my son went to school one day and in a conversation and what he was going to do when he get older, he said, I'm going to be a farmer like my dad. Right. So I was seeing my, my kids begin to see the world differently. And I'm, I'm a big fan of, of my career. I, I really like work. I really like being able to take that seriously and be proud of it. And I wanted my children to learn that it's okay to love your work and, and love Fridays as much as you love Mondays. You want to have a good work-life balance. You want to come home and spend that time with your family and want to be there, but you also want to go to work and want to be there. We spend too much time at work not to love what we do. And I was missing the opportunity to teach that. And then someone, a a friend of mine who I really know and trust, um, was was invested in this cannabis industry, and they'd gone and take a look at it, and it changed the way they viewed it. And they really saw this as the Wild West, a, a new industry. It's clearly an old industry, but but being industrialized is new and being regulated and, and brought up and, and brought into the public and really understood. You don't get a lot of opportunity like this, sort of like when when computers came around, the speed of which this is moving and the life changing impact was extraordinary at a time where I wanted to work. And then the family, one of the founders who I own this, um, I'm close to the family of w- was really helping me to understand what an opportunity this was. Even with all those things, Lou, I was as hung up on the decision as possible. Uh, I remember spending the day reading about the laws and and online and what is marijuana, what's the impact, why is it illegal, and the history of it, and what are the medical benefits, and what's what's the real reason for doing it. And I did tons of deep research. I called a number of of mentors in my life and had a conversation and said, what do you think? And was surprised by by some of the information I got. Some of them had a closer relationship to marijuana than I ever would have believed. And that was um, that was eye opening. And and others were, um, you know, a little more against it. And and when you asked why, they really couldn't verbalize why. This There was this very strange culture block in my mind and in my my friends group around cannabis. So I made the decision to jump on a plane, uh, fly to Portland, see the business, talk to the individuals and at least understand it. 
before I did, I had dinner with you and, and another friend of ours, a coworker, and we had the conversation with you. Lou, of course, you're you're a bright light in all of this and everything. You you see the wonder of the world, and you were intrigued by the newness of the business and the opportunity and kind of the purity of what cannabis was. I, I, if I'd just taken your advice, I would have signed up for the job before I even flew to Portland. Um, but yeah, in, in a realistic way, right? You you understood that there were real positives. And then the third person with us is someone that we know whose husband has some, some medical um, circumstances. They live in Texas. And I was shocked to hear her say that if medical marijuana was available in Texas, she would absolutely seek some out for her husband to improve the quality of his life. And to have... To have that conversation with with two people that I loved and trusted really kind of opened the, the funnel of my mind. So when I went home, packed, flew to Portland the next day, I was really open minded, open eyes, ready to learn. Now, when I hit the ground and saw the business, Lou, it was, it was probably 12 hours after I landed in Portland, I had made the decision. This is someplace I could work. The opportunity just from a business standpoint it was con- barely controlled chaos, growing at a fast rate with a group of the most passionate individuals you could ever meet who needed experience. It, I'll, I'll kind of uh, associate this in my mind to you take a group of really high performing athletes. They're really, really good at what they do and they love it. And what they just need is a team manager who's been there in, in, in business who could point them in the right direction and make sure that they've got their uniforms and the team bus works and they show up at the field on time. The, the athletes will get the job done, right? They don't really need the team manager to play. They need the team manager to block for them. And, and that's what this business was, a, a young group of some of the most passionate, intelligent individuals that a year ago, I wouldn't have spent time with you walk in and you see folks tatted from from head to toe giants rings in their ears and and very very different world and you get to know them they're half my age and and they love what they do and they're good at it and it changed my view of potentially an entire generation to really peel that that layer back and take a look at the individuals that that were there and I couldn't bring any cannabis experience to the table. I couldn't bring a knowledge of the regulation. What I could just bring is business experience and went into it and said, let's just guide the best of what's here with what I've done before. And this group can accomplish anything. And they've they've continued to do that. Um, very successful group. Very interesting. Really, at that point, any any closed mindedness I had, any belief that I've been there, done that, that I'm an expert in anything was blown up because I, I needed to learn an industry from the ground up and find ways to put my experience into it. And it really did meld well, as long as what you do is you don't try to pull pull the cannabis business left into the hospitality business. Instead, let the cannabis go. Let the business be what it is and yeah. just guide it, guide the people, mentor them, provide the experience, avoid the pitfalls and work the business for what it was. It was probably the longest period of my life, the, the most accomplished in a very short window. It felt like years 
of work. We saw states legalizing, regulations changing, packaging changing, people, you know, constantly moving, product development at a speed of which I never would have believed possible. And it it taught me never to assume. Don't assume something can't be done because it it can. Never assume that an individual is going to tick a certain way because I met an awful lot of unique individuals who who did amazing things. But um, blew my mind, and I think that I'm a huge beneficiary of getting to spend time in this industry. Angela, what you said is so powerful when you said not take the hospitality industry in, but what you took were your skills. Often people get hired into a position and think that I have to bring what I was doing before versus the skill set, which was managing this team. I think at one point, I think uh, even expense accounts, you wrote your own checks uh, rather than a formalized program. And it was a business that started in an apartment uh, that uh, created a new way of uh, containing the oil in a um, the process was unique um, and, and what you brought was the skill uh, rather than trying to change the quote culture of the company turn it into a hospitality mindset or whatever um, what what you did is let the natural tendencies take place but brought that that management skill to it yeah, what? I, I want to be careful not to to oversell my part in it because I want to. I w- first, I don't want to take away from anything that the team accomplished. And second, my my role was very very specific. And imagine you just got this, you got this stampede. You, and for lack of a better term, sometimes it felt like a stampede, <laughs> moving in a, it moving all over the place with a ton of energy and a ton of force, and you can't stop it. My my whole part was to point, to guide it, right? Yeah. To narrow it down and try to get it a little closer to where you wanted it. I have zero doubt that had I not joined this organization, they still would have been wildly successful. Right? They just they they had the right product and the right people and fantastic leadership and some amazing team members. Um, I like to think that I got them there faster and hopefully with less bruises because of of the ability to kind of guide the stampede. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the mistake would have been going in and trying to stop the stampede and let one, you know, one head of cattle out at a time for complete control. You'd have lost everything that makes this organization great. And um, I think that when you when you have a huge career change um, and I, I had a small one, I went from one hospitality company to another. And I remember having a moment where I thought, will what I learned at company A matter at La Quinta? And very quickly learning not only did it. But, but what the skills I had developed transitioned very nicely. And then later in my career, I became the chief operating officer. And at another moment of introspective where I thought, am I ready for this level of responsibility? But you had I'd built up a level of skills and relationships and industry knowledge that allowed me to be successful at that as well. Now you take that and you leave to an entirely new industry. It's manufacturing instead of hospitality. <clears throat> it's a highly regulated industry. It's a product I knew nothing about. How well would I transition? And the key is that that open for me, the key was that open minded, go in and learn, then bring your piece to it. If I if I had gone in to teach and I had gone in to say this is what you do, I that stampede would have run me over. I had a 
I had a head of operations that was a very strong willed individual. And in my first week, I'm sitting there and he walks into my office and he looks me in the eye and he says, so a chief operating officer, what do you do? You know, what what do I need you for? Right. Well, this, he was just that blunt. And I've, I've been digging into the business and I said, well, let's do this. Adam, let's wait a couple of weeks and let me look around. Let me learn the business and then show you what I can do. And if after a couple of weeks you don't see a value for me, you're right. You don't need me. And because I could have tried to sit there on in week one and argued what I, skills I brought to the table. Well, what skills does he need? What experience I bring to the table? I don't know what his challenges are yet. Instead, go in there with an open mind, a blank piece of paper. What's slowing the business down? What's getting in the way? What are their personal pain points? Let me go to work with with my past experience and knowledge and and chip those away and help guide the business. And uh, at the end of our time together, I think we had a great relationship and it was my job to block and tackle and his job to do his job. And he did it really well. And and that was that was the value I brought for him. And uh, Angelo, that business was sold. It was one of the most successful uh, sales in, in that industry. And then you went into C, uh, CBD and managed that portion of the business that was spun off. Yes, Cure Leaf bought the uh, cannabis company, the marijuana rec company, and added the brand to their portfolio and doing amazing things with it. Uh, Cure Leaf already had a CBD division, so we had these CBD assets. We put some energy into some products, some great sales relationships. So we stood up. Uh, the brand is called Social CBD. Stood up in a company called Sencha Wellness. Uh, we ran that business for um, a little over a little over two years, and then we just recently the brand was acquired by another CBD group uh, out of California and uh, continues to live and and being over 18,000 doors. So it it was interesting that when I joined the cannabis industry, I saw recreational marijuana as the the real entity, and I saw CBD as this fledgling business. I would have incorrectly told you that CBD was a way for the cannabis industry to get cheerleaders, to get to get common use, to get folks who uh, over the hump of what what legal recreational THC is. Uh, having spent time in the industry, I'm amazed by what CBD does. I'm amazed at the potential for some individuals. Uh, it, it really is an amazing product in and of itself. Right, which which unlocks and forces you to ask the question about THC, because really with the addition of the full spectrum of cannabinoids, the ability to take everything that is that plant and provide it either in a recreational standpoint or in a medical standpoint is a tool that that ultimately we as a country are, are afraid to use. And I'll I'll, I'll be very candid when I join. I'm meeting all these individuals at the, the cannabis industry. Uh, I'm a bit of a nerd. I love comic books and comic books have a concept called an origin story. Right? What is a superhero or a villain's origin story? So I began trying to understand the origin story of the folks that I worked with and, and really flat out asking them. And while a number was yeah, I used marijuana in, in college or in high school and I really like it. I'm a big fan. There's a culture behind it. I was shocked by the number of individuals who came later in life and the quality of life that it brought them, the ability to sleep or a one individual, her mom was suffering um, cancer and nothing was helping. They moved to California just to have access to medical marijuana. And it was the one thing that allowed her mom 
to to have a quality of life in her final years. And when you hear those stories from individuals and, and really talk to them about them, it forces you to ask yourself really tough questions. Right now, here I am. I'm, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. 45 minutes away is the Dickel Distillery. Why can I walk into a to a Kroger and buy a fifth of Dickel whiskey, but cannabis is illegal? Right. And and the, the impact of those two things on an individual and the medical benefits of one versus, you know, arguably the medical benefits, but almost purely recreational benefits of alcohol. It, it really is a, a strange world. I don't see that today if you had a blank slate that the laws would be written the way they're written. They need to be challenged. And then then you add the unfortunate part, the real impact to the, the folks who have come before. And, and you know, I'm not going to get into a, to a long conversation around around kind of the, the racial aspects of cannabis, but it absolutely could it was a beat stick to, to some cultures and some races and put put laws in place that penalize. You've got people in jail for 20, 30 years for doing something that's now completely legal and socially acceptable. And the, the, the reform around that and, and frankly undoing some of what it's done and trying to trying to even up the chips a little bit is a great part of the reform around cannabis. And, and Jason White, our chief marketing officer, and uh, uh, later went on to do some other things, was a huge proponent of that, that cannabis is more than a recreational drug or a medical uh, device. It really is a culture and a lifestyle and has a history that is woven within our nation. And all of that was brought to me by this opportunity to go work in the industry, none of which I, I understood, none of which I could truly appreciate, nor do I think I would have appreciated had I not kind of gotten both barrels by by emerging, uh, submersing myself into the industry. Phenomenal. Angela, one, um, uh, one of the things that... Uh, uh, comes to mind now as as you look at that uh what was your first experience having been in a service business where do you think dispensaries are in terms of customer experience the dispensaries it, it with the wild west industry they are as varied and as wide as exciting as you can imagine there are dispensaries that you walk in you see armed guards and you feel like is this an okay place to be? Do I really want to consume something I buy in this facility? And then you walk into others that, I mean, the the appointments, the fixtures, the people, the service, the lights, the windows are extraordinary. And they're as great as any is shopping at Tiffany's for jewelry. Uh, there's there's one in, in Vegas that is just extraordinary that sometimes they, got, they have drones flying around advertising for the different product with a high degree of training for the individuals because you've got employees often who are passionate about the product who are in a position to to be compensated well and then you've got a consumer base who may not know right about the product and especially a product that changes this quick even if you grew up smoking you know ditch weed uh, back behind your your parents fence that's different than today's nano edibles, right? What does this gummy do? And how many can I take? And why should I wait 20 minutes before taking the next one? Because those things really add up, right? That whole conversation. So you walk into some of these dispensaries and it is a great case study in building a brand, selling a product, training an employee to train a guest, customer loyalty, and the fastest moving form factors that you can imagine. Well, I've met a number of, of doctors and, and medical individuals who would 
prescribe cannabis or suggest cannabis, very few would suggest burning a leaf and smoking your product, right? So by, by nature, you know, inhaling smoke is, is, comes with some negatives. But then you add so many other form factors now. You've got water, you've got gummies, you have chocolate. Um, you, have the, you have mixes. Um, we all know famously the marijuana brownies. All of these opportunities, and they're changing fast. Uh, you know, why would I dab? How do I dab? What is a water bong, and how do I not burn my fingers if I use one? All of these things people don't understand. I, I didn't understand any of it. And you got this opportunity to teach, especially when you go someplace like Vegas, where you've got a, a tourist base and they fly in and here it's legal. And you've got folks who have never tried cannabis or they've never tried more than, uh, you know, a blunt or a joint that their buddy rolled up in, in high school. And they're really getting to experience it. And it's in a legal, scientific, well-tested uh, product form. And you're watching all of that. I think that anyone who studies marketing or retail technology, regulation should look at the cannabis industry from start to finish because you are seeing an ecosystem of change, I think, faster than any industry we've ever seen. Phenomenal. And uh, the the it seems as though the diversity of the world of experience in that space and the role of a bud tender. When you first took the job and we were talking and I, I visited, I was just amazed at the the difference between different dispensaries and the opportunities. Um, there were some that treated you like a herd coming in one at a time. Uh, there were all these different experiences and that the experiences even varied from location to location, even though it was a chain. And uh, I, I think that uh, when we talk about experience, and uh, the world of experience and where we are today in terms of um, being passionate about delivering that customer experience. You were talking about, uh, in, in our earlier conversations, we talked a little bit about the change that's taking place in terms of the level of commitment. I think that you had talked about a, a drive-through that you went through um, and the, the idea of tipping could you just touch on that for a moment and uh, to, to wrap up the construct of experience and, and your experience and where we think we are in the world today? It seems like the Wild West is a fun place to play with experience. It's going to have to look at trying to work with some organizations in their their Wild West experience. It is it is tough out there. I I. I sympathize with any management leadership team, shift supervisor trying to to improve it. So my, my wife and I were about to do a long drive and we swung by a fast food place to get a couple of drinks, pulled up to the speaker, ordered. No, no negative interaction on the speaker. Everything went fine. Pulled up to the first window to pay. And I was shocked. My interaction with the individual at the window, the young man, no word left his mouth. No smile touched his lips. He didn't repeat the amount, didn't say thank you. He took the money. He returned my change with a receipt. And I drove off. It was it was worse than an experience with a robot because a robot would have at least been programmed to interact in some way. Right. It it I was I was dead to that employee and just an obstacle between him and the end of his shift. Right. Versus any interaction, any smile, anything 
is we're starved for as consumers and and as social individuals we look for it. you want to do business with people that you have a relationship with a smile is your most powerful hospitality tool so pull up to the second window and they give us our drinks and the person did murmur a brief thank you have a nice day but it, it wasn't sincere it wasn't it felt very routine and it felt very much like there are other people around the front window so this person at least has to do that they have to maintain some level of decorum and, and be seen i drove away the whole experience was about drinks it was no better than if amazon knocked on my door and put the drinks on my front steps Right? It's that that whole opportunity around service and and the, the restaurant can't necessarily teach it or motivate it or incent it. They can certainly try. It takes a lot more culture than that. But as individuals, Lou, imagine going about your job and not putting any passion in it, any excitement in it. And, and I know there's people who are going to listen to this saying, yeah, but they work in a fast food restaurant. I worked in a fast food restaurant for three years. Right. I, I, I've been there. I've done that. I worked in an ice cream store for two. I, I don't care if you're if I'm cutting grass or, or feeding the chickens. Find something to like about what you do or do something else. And I loved working in a fast food restaurant. I made friends there. Right. I met people to go socialize with there. I, I learned to be hopefully a, a better manager there, became a shift manager and took that into my hotel world. There are. There are elements that, that you can find and you can enjoy. You're there for yourself. It's not about a paycheck. You're improving yourself. You're spending your time. Your most valuable commodity is time. Imagine working 40 hours in a place where you're not going to smile and you're not going to interact. And what's going to happen? That business is going to suffer. Your revenue is going to go down. And that job's not going to remain. Right? So it's there's just bringing a piece of ourselves to everything we do and, and putting it all out there makes a difference. And and I, I've believed that my whole career, if, if you'd argued with me years before I joined the cannabis industry, I would have had a preconceived notion about the entire generation, right? We read it on social media. It's a generation of slackers. And for those of you on audio, I'm doing the, the quote sign thing and you know people who are lazy and they're not really out to do much. Boy, imagine my surprise when I learned how wrong that mindset was. When you take that generation and you you have them doing something they're passionate about, something they believe in the way they want to, these young adults can achieve so much when they want to, when you can bring that out in them. And the cannabis industry is a great petri dish for that because it's an industry a lot of people have a passion for. And it needs that level of excitement and that level of change. And I, I'm watching young 20-somethings with with a lot of title and a lot of responsibility changing the world because they want to and doing it well and, and i think there's there's elements in there that we can all improve and it adds to that open-minded concept that, that i talked about earlier in the podcast the ability to always keep learning and always keep changing the day you can't challenge what you think or you believe you're not going to do much more right you just get past that angelo thank you very very much uh, for your time today and your journey in business. And you are one of the most open-minded executives I have ever met and one of the most open-minded people in terms of continuous learning. And you have such a wealth of knowledge that you've amassed over the years, and I respect that. 
and admire that and value your friendship and so grateful. Uh, one of the great experiences in my life is knowing you. Well, Lou, thank you for that. And thank you for this opportunity, as well as the impact you've had on, on me professionally and personally. I, I value our friendship and look forward to more of these talks. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Clued In with Lou Carbone. If the advancement of the practice of experience management's financial and emotional impact drives you, please reach out to Lou on LinkedIn or visit experienceengineering.com or email us at info at expeng.com. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.